Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Word of God for our meditation this morning is today's second reading from Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll hear again this portion. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the Word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to imagine that you are climbing a mountain and it's summit day, the day when hopefully you will be able to cross this mountain off of the list of peaks that you hope to conquer. You've been climbing since 2 o'clock in the morning. The air is thin. You're pretty much gasping for breath at this altitude. And yet at the same time, you've got a smile on your face because everything is really going well according to plan. The view is spectacular as the sun is coming up and you're pretty much in the groove. And then you see it, the summit. Excitement wells up inside of you as you make one final push. Now again, you've been climbing for hours, 50 pounds of climbing gear weighing you down. You're cold, you're tired, you're hungry, you're probably dehydrated, but your goal is in view and so you're excited. And you begin to imagine what it's going to be like to sit up on that peak, take a little time for some rest, maybe have a little bit of a snack, and, and just revel in the euphoria of having conquered this peak. You're getting closer and closer. You scramble up one final steep section, and finally, you are on top. Except you're not. This is what mountaineers refer to as a false summit. The true summit was obscured from your view by the peak that you just climbed. You suddenly realize that you have hundreds of vertical meters left to climb, and so your heart sinks and your enthusiasm disappears and a little bit of depression starts to set in. I mean, you just went through all of that. You gave it everything that you got, and you didn't reach your goal. As Christians, what is our goal in life? Well, it isn't to be, quote, successful and to make a bunch of money, nor is it to just keep going to work and paying a bunch of bills. It isn't about uh, having as much fun as possible or even the pursuit of happiness. As believers, we spend our lives preparing to meet our Maker. Our goal is to be in heaven with our God after we die. And there are basically two ways to reach that goal, two paths to follow, two mountains, if you will. One mountain seems like a good way. In fact, it seems like the right way, but it's not. It's a false summit. It leads only to death and destruction. But the other mountain, the right mountain, lifts us up to eternal life. In the portion of our God's Word before us this morning, we have really a tale of two mountains. Mountain number one is all about laws and works and human effort. Mountain number two is all about Christ and the free salvation that God gives us through him. So let's get climbing. And the first thing I want to do is remind you again of the background of this letter to the Hebrews. You'll remember from a few weeks ago that this letter was written 
to a bunch of Jews who had become Christians but were under persecution and now because of that persecution were tempted to go back to the old ways under Judaism. And the writer penned this letter to discourage them from doing that. He encourages them to stick with Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life because salvation comes only through him. In our text, the writer does this by laying before those Jews two options, two paths to achieve their goal to eternal life. And very cleverly, he presents this to them in the form of two mountains. Mountains that would have been very familiar to every Jew. The first mountain is Mount Sinai, that mountain out in the desert where God's children of Israel had wandered for 40 years, the mountain on which God came down and gave them his holy law in the form of the Ten Commandments. Now, when you first think of a mountain, probably pleasant images come to your mind. You think of the Rockies, perhaps, a nice snow-capped peak. I mean, mountains are the, the lovely objects of paintings and photographs, but what happened to the Jews out there in Sinai probably can't be described as lovely. Listen again to our text. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death." Almighty God descended on that mountain with all his power and authority and all his holiness as God. And the first thing he did was set up a barrier between himself and the sinful people of Israel. He said, don't cross this. If even an animal touches the mountain, it has to be stoned to death. And then God put on a magnificent display. Thunder and lightning and thick billows of smoke and an ear-splitting trumpet blast. The mountain itself shook with an earthquake. And then the voice of God himself boomed. And what did it say? Over and over again it said, You shall not. You shall not. How did God's chosen people react to this scene? Oh, goody. God's giving us the way to eternal life. No problem. All we have to do is follow these ten simple commandments. No, that was not their reaction at all. Listen to these words from Exodus chapter 20. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. These were sinners in the presence of absolute holiness. Filth confronted with utter purity. The people were naked before God Almighty, exposed for the sinners that they were, and they knew there was no chance that they would ever be able to measure up to God's holy demands. And so they were terrified. We're told that even Moses, the great man of God, trembled in his sandals. So, this amazing scene, what's the lesson in it for us today? Well, my friends, it's actually a, a very simple lesson. The lesson is this, don't try to save yourself by what you do. Works do not work. 
But sadly, most people in the world don't believe that. They believe exactly the opposite. Every man-made religion on the face of the earth, and billions of people believe that if you want to be right with God, if you want to have an afterlife, if you want to go to heaven, well, then you have to be good. Okay, I'll agree with that. But the big question is, how good? How good does one have to be to attain eternal life? Let's let Scripture answer that question. How good? Galatians 3, verse 10. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. How good? James 2, verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. How good? Leviticus 19, verse 2. God says, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Our God does not grade on a curve, nor are you given mulligans if you mess up. There's no second chances if you don't get it done. I mean, if you want to get to heaven on the basis of your own goodness, if you want to do it on the merit of your own works, then they have to be absolutely perfect. Perfect thoughts and deeds and desires at all times, without ever a fail. I've tried to do my best. I've tried to live a good life. I've tried not to hurt anybody. These things count for nothing. It's no wonder the Apostle Paul wrote these words to the Romans. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You just can't earn your way to heaven, my friends. You're not good enough. And neither am I. Not even close. But Jesus was. And Jesus is. And my friends, that's what the second mountain described in our text is really all about. The first mountain finally is all about eternal death, destruction, and disappointment. But the second mountain is all about joy and life and eternal peace. Because that second mountain is all about Jesus and the free gift of salvation our God gives us through him. Listen, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the mountain of good news, of pure gospel joy, of free salvation by grace in Christ. And I want to take a look at this mountain a little bit more carefully because there are just some wonderful details here that are meant to comfort us sinners. The writer calls it Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. I told you a little while ago that the writer is using two mountains that would have been very familiar to the Jews. This is one of them. They all knew Mount Zion very, very well. You see, Zion was essentially the hill on which Jerusalem was built. And so that name Zion came to stand for the place where God's holy chosen people lived, or just to stand for the holy chosen people themselves. And so in the New Testament, Zion comes to refer to the holy Christian church, the communion of saints. 
My friends, by God's grace alone, we are members of that church. We are part of the communion of saints through faith in Jesus Christ. We are citizens of Zion. Next, he mentions, thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Now, what is it that makes an angel rejoice? Jesus actually once talked about this. He said, there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Angels do not get excited about people who try to pay, pray, and obey their way into heaven. The angels get excited when God's Spirit leads sinners one at a time to confess their sins and to trust in Christ alone for forgiveness. The writer next tells the Hebrews that they have come to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. Again, my friends, that's us. In those days, the firstborn sons received a double share of the inheritance. And of course, that's who we are. We are the children of God. As Paul wrote, in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. And so we are heirs of God's riches. And our names are written down in heaven, not in the ink of our own efforts, but instead in the priceless blood of the Lamb who laid down his life for us. The writer continues, You have come to God, the judge of all. And as soon as we hear the word judge, we want to back off a little bit. But my friends, this is not scary for us. Because who is the judge? The judge is our God, even his son Jesus Christ. And he judges us not on the basis of our own merit or worthiness, which would end in disaster. He judges us on the merit of his own merit and worthiness. He says that we have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. My friends, that's us and every believer. We are justified, declared not guilty in the eyes of our God through faith in Jesus Christ, pure and perfect and holy to his eyes. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus is the go-between, the bridge that connects us to our God in true friendship and fellowship. And he says we've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now you know your Bible history. You know that Abel was the first murder victim, viciously killed by his own brother Cain. And when God confronted Cain with his sin, he said to him, Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Abel's blood cried out for justice. But my friends, Jesus' blood does not cry out for justice to be done upon us. His blood cries out for God's grace and mercy. This is how the hymn writer put it in that beloved Lenten hymn, Glory Be to Jesus. Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies, but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. And God hears that cry, doesn't he? As we've heard already this morning, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Pardon and peace are ours in Christ now and forever. And so there you have it, my friends, a story, a tale of two mountains. One of those mountains is lifeless and barren. The other is covered in life. Redeemed people and angels and the living God himself. One of those mountains is dreadful and terrifying to behold. But the other is beautiful and comforting and filled with joy. One of those mountains leads only to death and destruction eternally. But the other gives life eternally, life to the full in Christ. One of those mountains has the Ten Commandments, a document that would seal our doom. The other has the Book of Life, in which our names are recorded in indelible ink. 
My friends, the writer's message to the Hebrews 2,000 years ago is God's message to us today. You have it all in Christ. Full forgiveness, free salvation, peace and joy and hope. Don't give up these things. By God's grace, you stand on the summit of Mount Zion. Don't try to climb again that false summit of Sinai. In other words, don't waste your time and your effort trying to save yourself. It won't work. Instead, cling to Christ who has done everything for you. Yes, cling to the one who climbed Mount Calvary and won your salvation. In his saving name, amen.